Your Toronto FC are no longer the last place team in MLS. This is Waking the Red Weekly presented by Footy Talks and ahead on this week's show. We'll chat a pair of wins for the Reds and get you set for the big international break for the Canadian men's national team. To help us do that this week, Peter Glindo of Sportsnet and Northern Football Podcast, among other outlets, will join the show in just a bit here. We'll chat all things Canadian soccer with him as he's certainly one of the most knowledgeable individuals when it comes to the national team player pool. But first, it's Jeffrey P. Nesker. It's Michael saying, what's up, guys? Hey, what's going on, cool cats and kittens? How was your week? It's, is that a San Diego Chargers jersey? San Diego. That's a Los Angeles to you. It's Los Angeles but, now. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. I didn't know you're a big NFL guy. Yeah, well, apparently I look a lot like Justin Herbert, so I had to buy a Justin Herbert jersey <laughs> and get, behind me, get behind my long-lost twin. Um, <laughs> So nice, nice. Better. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Just uh, it's been it's been a fun week, guys. You know, this we're obviously looking forward to some massive matches for Canada this week, and in Toronto FC land, guys, things things seem like they're going really well right now, and it's uh, it's a good time at least in comparison <laughs> to the rest of the season. So, I yep, think we got yep. uh, plenty to talk about this week. We sure do. We sure do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, nice to nice to return to some positive vibes on this show. There were there were a couple weeks there. Uh, I know certainly when they were mired in their six game uh, losing streak, where it was it was really tough to, to figure out what we were going to talk about, and you know it was it was a lot of looking to next season. But uh, I mean, it's still probably a little bit looking to next season at this point. Yeah, but at it's least quite. We, it's we a can, little. Yeah, <laughs> we can do so with with a little bit more you know optimism and and a little bit more um, of an idea of what might be working here for Toronto FC. Um, of course, 3-2 to two win over Cincinnati on Wednesday, and then a 3-1 win over the Chicago Fire on Sunday. And that's the first back-to-back they've won all year, um, which, you know, <laughs> is not good in itself. But um, also two come-from-behind wins. I know that's something that Jonathan Osorio highlighted after the game, and obviously um, a, a good sign that maybe things are turning mentally for the team as well because there was a while there where if they get scored on first you, you knew the game was over almost immediately and um, I mean it goes without saying as well since you are now the worst team in the league the Chicago Fire have won one time away from home all season so it wasn't like they're you know these are monumental transformational wins for Toronto FC but at this point again when with the season they've had any win is a win and and the performances have definitely been a step in, in the right direction yeah those Mitch, are the you, games uh, they're buried, dropping sir yeah. No, I was gonna say Go those were the games that they were dropping earlier in the season. That's against teams like Cincinnati and even uh, I think they beat Chicago, but still they gave them a hard time. I think Chicago dominated that first encounter, um, but that's also overlooking a little bit of you know Nashville's second second place team in the Eastern Conference during this run. Colorado mm-hmm. is the team that was unbeaten their last ten games in Colorado. Like that's never an easy easy nope. fixture so yeah as mitch said like it looks like things are starting to click now for toronto fc jeff what were you gonna say well we buried the lead guys we killed new coach bumps dead i mean that's the that's <laughs> the new toronto fc mentality right fire your coach come here for the new coach bump and we're gonna hammer you three something so uh you know don't fire your coach before you come to bmo for a home game that's that's essentially the the lesson we're gonna take home from this season uh, maybe don't rebrand as well. Cause, cause we'll, we'll kick your butts, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's not looking all rosy and sunny in TFC land, but it certainly looks a hell of a lot better this week than it did last. Uh, and that's, that's pretty great because 
I do think there's something to be said for ending the season on a positive note. Uh, we know a change is coming. And uh, I, at the very least, for for the mental uh, uh, clarity that, that 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 will bring, right? Because, you know, they always say, don't go grocery shopping while you're hungry. Well, probably don't do exit interviews and, and try and rebuild your roster on the back of just capitulating to every team on the planet and winning the wooden spoon. So I, I do think we've, we're, we're dodging a bullet here with respect to what the rebuild means, how multifaceted it's going to be. I think we've gained a bit of perspective that was necessary. Um, you know, just taking the pulse in TFC land, I mean, the amount of people that are now perfectly okay with with uh, with Javi Perez uh, maintaining his position into next season, I think is it's been, it's done a complete 180. Right. You know, there's still people calling out for Andrea Pirlo for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, most most people are pretty comfortable. I mean, gaining winning that locker room in this situation is is quite a coup. And all signs point to that uh, Javi Perez has earned the trust of the locker room. And that's that can't be understated. I mean, this was a this was a horrifyingly bad locker room. And, and you know, all signs still point to it not being the, the best, but the fact that he's got the trust of his players, um, that's that's big. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely massive. Um, so let me ask you guys. Mm-hmm. This is something kind of, I, I think TFC kind of beat around the bush or like they're giving some sort of generic answers when asked. What's what's clicked for your, this team in your opinion? Mitch? Well, one thing that, I think has been interesting and, and is worth tracking with the rest of the season is Toronto FC is now four, two and four at BMO field. It's not an amazing record, but it's significantly better than they played anywhere else, including obviously their home in Orlando. So yeah, good I mean, point. The, the, the return home, certainly, um, you know, obviously we can talk about those, those four draws that, that kind of killed them honestly in, in the early part of the home run, but now they're starting to pick up big results at BMO field as well. So I do think that, uh, you know, a little homestand here hasn't hurt anybody. And again, I think it's it's what we were hoping for, right? It's it's some of these guys starting to to show up and, and play for their spots. It's your Jacob Schaffelberg, your Achara, Jefferson Soteldo has been fantastic. Um, it, it, there's a couple of guys like that that have just really stepped up in the last week or so and, and you know, shown that they want to be around next year. They deserve to get significant minutes next year. And that, that's, again, if you're a team out of a playoff spot and clearly, you know, uh, the Canadian Championship is all they have left to play for, the other thing they have left to play for is is their job. So mm-hmm. that that in itself has been uh, has been good. And again, I, I think I tweeted this out, but Jefferson Sotelo is the oldest of that group at 24. Like there's there's something you can build around here and that's starting to to become clear. Yeah, yeah. They've, uh, their next four out of six, I think, last, home, last games are at home at BMO Field. So that's something to watch as well. Jeff, go yeah. ahead. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but but that Molinaro interview we did last week where he mentioned that, you know, the emergence of Jacob Schaffelberg is possibly off the back of not having pause in the in the starting 11. I've given that a lot of thought. Um, and, and, you know, what happens when, when pause comes back uh, is a question that none of us can answer. But I just, I found... I found that interview with JMO last week really fascinating in, in terms of the insight that he that he gave and some of and some of his takes as to as to what's working now. Um, it is interesting that you know Yef and and Schaff seem to be making the the connections that he wasn't 
capable of making, uh, you know, in limited minutes with, with some of our, our, some of our marquee players. Um, it's all wonderful, but you know, like John, my, my curiosity is what happens when we're back to so, so-called full strength and, and, and what do we do and, and, and who regresses and, and who stays consistent because Shaft saying consistent, I think is incredibly important. Um, but who knows? He's about to go to a, to a, to a international break. He could come back, you know, like Alistair Johnson, just a thousand times better as, as a consequence of his club team. And then, and then working under Herdman. And, and we have all seen the quote Herdman is very excited to work with, uh, with, with our little, with our boy, Jacob. So all signs point to excitement, you know? Yeah. And what, what I will say about that is a lot of people, I think Graham included, let me just bring up Graham's comment here is, mm-hmm. is kind of like similar line of thinking as you, Jeff. Yeah. I'm curious how you guys see the return of pause impact in the current formation, which would most likely mean Soteldo moving back to the left wing. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily the case because over this stretch, mm-hmm. it's been a Chara that's actually been shifted out to the wing. And Soteldo has been playing through the middle for the most part. He's actually been playing the closest to a striker than I think anyone in that group, although Achara and, and Soteldo are kind of interchangeable there. So that's something to watch out for, too. Like It doesn't necessarily mean Soteldo automatically shifts back back to the wing. Actually, last match, he, he shifted to right wing and mm-hmm. Achara at halftime, and Achara was moved up to striker. So I don't think anything's kind of locked into place here. I think you know, Soteldo is a versatile player, and same with Achara, so... Perhaps there is some movement there that is that is feasible, but uh, let's uh, let's bring our guest on because I think I see him there lurking in the background. He sure is. Absolutely, All right. yeah. Nice. Now joined from Sportsnet and the Northern Football Podcast, Peter Glendo. Thank you so much for for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on here. Pete, yeah, what's awesome. going on, man? Yeah. Get to get <laughs> to see you. Yeah, good to see you as always, Mike. Yeah, I know. Me and uh, me and Pete back in the day uh, when I was interning at Sportsnet, we would uh, be on the news desk together. So amazing! Good to see you. Good to see your face again, and uh, good to have you on to chat some some exciting times right now, man, in Canada soccer. Holy yeah, man. and uh, it seems like every window now, it, it's it's always a case of this is the most important window for Canada. And then, you know, November comes around when they're hosting Costa Rica and Mexico. It's like, Oh, this is important. And then January, February comes around. Same thing. So it's it, the it, bachelor. It's, it's the most, the most dramatic season of the bachelor ever. Every new season. <laughs> yeah, so that's, exactly. that's what we're into right now. The hyperbole years. It's our, it's our Carlsberg years in Kansas. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that actually works out well. Cause it leads me into my first question here, which <laughs> is, is sort of to do with that, but basically you know, obviously Mexico away, Jamaica away. These are difficult fixtures. And then uh, Panama's coming to BMO Field, who who looked a tricky team so far and kind of surprised everyone in, in the first window. Um, what is a successful window here for Canada? Because we know home games are paramount, have to win your home games, especially against teams like like Panama. And then, you know, pick up as many points as you can away from home. What what, what would you say is, is successful for, for the team here? If we're going, obviously, based on points, because this is what's going to get Canada into uh, the World Cup or not, um, as long as they're averaging anywhere around, say, 1.3, 1.4 points by the end of this window, then they're in good shape. Um, I know Christian Jack has done the math on this before. I've also done the math on this. That points per game average gets you at least 
the Interconfederation playoff, which is what Canada will obviously be aiming for, if not more. So if mm-hmm. they come out of it with four points, however that happens to come about, or better, uh, that gets them up to nine from those six games. That's 1.33 points. It's a little less than, obviously, what they got in the previous window, but based on the average and based on what's available to them, that should be a decent enough pace to take into November where you then have two home matches. Yeah, fair enough. And well, I guess their biggest test to pick up, keep that pace and, and pick up some points will obviously be at the Azteca, you know, taking on probably the best side in this region, if not definitely the best side in this region in Mexico. Unfortunately for Canada, Peter, they're going to obviously going to be without Junior Hoylet and now David Watherspoon as well, ruled out, obviously, travel regulations or whatever you guys want to phrase it as. Who steps up in, in, in their place? Because those are two guys, you know, in the center of the park that could, could make a difference. I know Junior Hoylet has been. So who steps up in, the, in their place, in your opinion, for that match? You're not going to get like for like, I feel, for guys like Hoylet. Um Waterspoon, I mean, you at least have a somewhat carbon copy in Mark Anthony Kay, who can at least get the ball forward deep into the final third. Um, but but Hoylet's the one that I think is going to be a real miss because over the last couple of months, guys, even when he hadn't been playing regularly for club, he was still indispensable for Canada. And yep. his ability to be able to find those pockets of space, drift in there, collect the ball get it out of those you know tighter areas, and then progress the ball forward. Very few attackers, if any, in the player pool right now can really do that, and certainly in the squad can do that. You can argue Buchanan at times, Davies at times, but you feel a lot more secure when Hoylet has possession, I yep. feel, compared to those guys where it's almost like a, a massive kind of risk-reward with those guys, and you're going to get that with young players and, and players who play the way Davies does. Um, but in terms of how they could line up... Um, we all saw what happened against Mexico when they switched the 4-4-2 in the second half in that semifinal at the Gold Cup. Now, there's no guarantee that's going to work, obviously, a second time, but it obviously can't hurt to do that because, look, if it worked once, it might work again. So the way I would try to come at this, and I understand you would then be down a couple of midfielders if Adiba Hutchinson can't go, um, try to get three in the midfield as as much as you possibly can whether that's you know getting a trio of Osorio, Ashtakio, and Kay in there, um, whether you want to throw in Fraser or Piet to kind of help you in those deeper areas, whether that's to break up things defensively or to progress the ball forward, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's imperative because we saw what happened in those first two games when Canada only had the Ostakio-Hutchinson or the Ostakio-Kay duo in midfield against the U.S. and Honduras. They, they struggled to cover all that ground. They had way too many responsibilities. The wingbacks couldn't get freed up because the triangles weren't there to free them up into space. And they, at times, suffered as a result. Yep. Obviously, the, the massive difference now is, I mean, compared to the El Salvador game to those first two games was quality of opponent, of course. But then Osorio comes in and you saw how just liberated Buchanan and Lorea as well were in that match. So I think that's why you have to try to get that trio in there. And then the way I would probably do it, if you want to get both Buchanan and Davies out there, and in order to line up in you know a, a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 and then go into a 4-4-2 mid-block off the ball, you go Johnston, Vittoria, Miller at the back, at least to start with. Um, and then in your midfield or in your 
bank of four or five, you have Osorio, Ishtakio, K, and then one of Larea or Atakubi. You probably go Larea just based on how he's been performing for club and country recently. And then you go Buchanan, David, and Davies up front. And then when in situations when you're off the ball, you just have Osorio kind of occupy the right side, push Buchanan up with David, and then have Davies drop to the left of, of the second bank of four, and then you have a four-four-two. So that's how I do it if you were to have those guys in there. If not, um, like say you want to rest Buchanan because he's on a yellow card, which is another thing that Canada has to worry about here, uh, <laughs> or some of the yellow card warnings, um, yeah, me- you then put Larea on the right, maybe you start at a Kubi, you keep that trio together, and then I would maybe go David and Davies up front because the way Mexico uh, can't cope with you know, speed up front when they're pressing their defenders and Edson Avedis is not the fastest guy. Um, that could really cause a lot of problems if you go with that duo up front and then it frees up Davies from having to track back. He can just conserve his energy towards kind of putting pressure on the Mexican defense. Yeah, we saw that with Buchanan in the Gold Cup where, as you mentioned, when they shifted to that four four two, like he just wreaked havoc as a, as a striker, just getting in behind. Uh, but yeah, Jeff, go ahead. Well, I mean, this is a new one. You usually steal my questions, but this time <laughs> you stole my question and wrote your own question. And then, Peter, that's essentially the same question. I've never, I've never ever seen this before. And then Peter answered it so eloquently that I have no questions. So I'm going to borrow one from, from Ivan down here. Uh, do you think Shaft gets minutes this window? I can see it, especially with uh, potentially Laren missing out. Uh, in at least one, if not maybe two of the games. And look, I mean, he he deserves possibly getting a look. He's he's really progressed as a player this season, even early on in the campaign with TFC. Um, you know, I, I was tweeting things like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm liking how Schaffelberg is now, you know, finding those areas to get into promising scoring positions, and he's finishing off the chances now. Even if that was maybe the only positive thing he was doing, at least he was doing it. And obviously yeah. early on, Toronto FC needed every positive they could get. Um, and some people were, were responding saying, oh, I don't know, he's not really impressing me too much. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm just seeing things wrong. I don't know. And then recently, since he's come back into the 11, he's now added a little more creativity to his game as well. You, you feel like he's a lot more willing to hit progressive passes in behind, to hit mm-hmm. crosses into the box, to take on defenders. Whereas maybe last year or prior to that, he was maybe a little hesitant to do so. Um, so you put that together. And you have a, a fairly complete attacking player there to throw on for, you know, 20, 30 minutes off the bench, even against Mexico. Because, I mean, as I said, fresh legs running at that Mexican defense, exploiting the fullbacks on the left side or maybe even as a free roaming striker, that could cause a lot of problems. So I could certainly see it. Amazing. Let's uh, let's continue in kind of the, the squad depth um, conversation here. And Peter, I know you're someone who pretty extensively tracks the Canadian men's national team player pool. So I know it's, it's a tricky time, right? Where you, you don't want to be bringing in too many other players in terms of, uh, you know, uh, disrupting what John Herman's building here. And, and in, in terms of just continuity's sake, but who are a couple of the guys that Canadian men's national team fans should at least keep an eye on in terms of potential future call-ups uh, for what they're doing, you know, potentially over in Europe or, or here domestically that might, uh, we might see at some point during this cycle. I think the one that's maybe hot on everybody's, you know, tongue right now would probably be R- Richie Ennen. Um, I know mm. Alex Gonge Ruzik mentioned him on Herdman's media availability the other day. Um, and they're definitely tracking him from the sound of it. And how could you not? I mean, he's doing very good things 
in Russia right now with Nizhny Novgorod. Um, he would be one to look for for probably January, February when MLS players are out of season and you maybe want to bring in some more informed players. Um, little surprise, maybe he didn't get in this time around, but I can understand Herman wanting to, you know, promote from the youth levels and, you know, bringing someone like Charles Andreas Brim in there, even though yeah. he's someone who maybe hasn't impressed me as much uh, even recently, but you know, it is good to reward guys who come through the program at times, right? Cause then it shows, Oh, there's a pathway to the senior team. Right. Um, so he's probably one that I would look at for sure in January, February is getting a call up. Um, Bilal Habuni is another guy as well. Yeah. Uh, just to add to the center back pool. He's been, majestic for Werder Bremen's reserves recently. Like he's so comfortable on the ball, his experience playing in a more advanced role in his early days in L1-0, I feel are really serving him well to be able to be comfortable carrying the ball forward and, and, you know, hitting progressive passes or, you know, just finding space. Right. So he's someone that you could watch out for as well. Um, but, but there are a number of names really that, that I, that are, you know, kind of escaping me right now that I feel I'm, I'm going to remember over the course of the show. <laughs> when, when you look at guys, they just yell them out completely <laughs> out of context. Man, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try here. Um, <laughs> but certainly th- those are a couple of guys that right off the bat, I'm like, yeah, those are two that you could definitely watch, especially, um, and then because, you know, with, with certain potential MLS players missing out, maybe that's a spot for them. Yeah, the idea of a ball playing center back in in this Canada squad is is makes me crazy, but hopefully it works out because, <laughs> damn, that would be uh that'd be an interesting yeah. Uh, tactical he was wrinkle. a striker. He was a striker growing up, and he played for for Western University. And mm. just to think about like where he is now, from going as a, a Western Mustang uh, soccer player to playing for Raider Bourbon's uh, reserves is just insane. Just the success yeah. he's having too. It's it's great to see, you know, some some players pan out later than others. And if he can continue this trajectory, I see no reason why he can't be included down the line. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, no worries. This this question is going to take forever. Um, do you agree with Can Sox's decision to stage the next round of home games post-Panama in Edmonton? I, I can see why they're doing it. Um, I think everybody expected and this is going to be the same case for Vancouver probably in, in, in the following window as well, all the World Cup hosts for 2026 are going to get some games here just to test it out and, you know, obviously see what's going to happen uh, when the, obviously the big dance comes. Um, so I'm not shocked that Edmonton got it because if it wasn't going to be, you know, in November, maybe then in March, but then those are crucial qualifiers. You, you know, you probably want to be playing in a more familiar setting, which, I mean, most of these national team players are from Southern Ontario. They they are comfortable here when they come back. They have a solid training facility to go to. Yep. Um, you know, obviously the, the stadium has a pristine surface, and certainly in comparison to Commonwealth Stadium. Um, but when you look at the other side of it, I'm not really sure how much of an, of an advantage it's going to give Canada because maybe in some cases, some of those, you know, Mexican and Costa Rican players are not going to be comfortable playing in basically freezing temperatures in November, as well as potentially mm-hmm. snow. Um, yep. But neither are the Canadians, right? BC is yep. the only province where they actually play through the winter. And, and I should know, I, I did play in BC through the winter. And <laughs> I mean, four degrees and rain is bad. But let me tell you, minus 10 and snow is a lot worse, especially I, when you're I playing bet. on turf or even, yep, yep. you know, two degrees and snow is is really bad on turf. So 
I just feel like it's not going to benefit Canada's game in that way. And considering they're going to need points, a, a draw at home to Mexico is fine. Like if you have to grind out a nil-nil there, you take it. But against Costa Rica, those are probably three points that you look at and think, yeah, we can take those. But if you can't really play the way that you want to, and if the the you know the turf isn't bouncing your way, and, and if the weather is is really uncomfortable it's just not going to really be advantageous for you other than maybe being able to pack Commonwealth stadium, which might be kind of cool to see. Very cool to see, especially the Very, Al- yeah. Alfonso Davies kind of story storyline to that as well. Just his homecoming there in Edmonton would be the first time he actually plays in Edmonton, uh, which would and be maybe the last time he ever plays in Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> it's just be a spectacle on its yeah. own. Yeah, um, yeah. But Peter, I'd, I'd be remiss if I don't, Bring this this man up. I read an interesting tweet um, yesterday, I think it was, and it's that Jonathan David, he has more League One goals combined than Kylian Mbappe, Lionel Messi, mm-hmm. and Neymar. What can you tell us about Jonathan David's season so far, and how important is he going to be to Canada during these, these uh, upcoming qualifiers? It is a very good thing. He's hitting form now when potentially Kyle Aaron can't go for all three games. Because when, as Canadian media supporters, whatever section you're in, were you able to say, oh, no, our top scorer for the calendar year might not be out, but that's okay. We've got (laughs) so-and-so and and -and so-and-so scoring goals in a top five league and and scoring more goals than than those three combined, right? Um, It's certainly beneficial right now to have David in form. But I think the biggest change has been, you know, just in terms of from the start of the season to over the last couple of weeks, it's just been really Leal. When you see them as well as David struggling, it's when they almost play this kind of tepid, slow, you know, possession style football. And it just Mm -hmm. doesn't suit the players they have because they have very dynamic, quick players. And when you watch all of David's goals, other than the penalty he scored, all of them have been scored off, you know, recovering a ball from the high press, yep. off of the counterattack, uh, you know, just by playing vertically and directly and David making runs, either shadowing in or just directly into the box and then getting that early cross or first time pass right yep. into him and then he finishes it off. That's been the biggest difference. If you play to those strengths, Jonathan David is going to score and we're seeing that certainly in front of our very eyes right now and potentially, hopefully from a Canadian perspective in October and beyond as well. Yeah. The good news probably that's, you know, that's certainly how Canada's played at its best against, you know, Mexico and United States and those top teams is, is that kind of fast paced um, game like that. They certainly have those, those players that can, that can play that way. So hopefully, you know, that sets up for, for Jonathan David to have a big window. I know he was a little bit, he's a little bit disappointing last window. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't his best, but uh, picked up the goal obviously against El Salvador to finish it off. And, yeah. and hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll see the best of David because you know, like you said, Kyle Aaron out, uh, probably Lucas Cavallini's. Uh, I know he picked up an injury late too, so he probably won't be too available either. So um, it's <laughs> there's a lot riding on Jonathan David certainly this window. <laughs> um, so hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully he can uh, he can step up. But um, Peter, I got I, think we'll, oh, I got one more before we let go. One more, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, it's a uh, it's about Jamaica. Because we know we know the first window that they had. They they're right now. I think they're bottom of the overall you know Concacaf final stage standings right now. Yes. But this is a team on paper that's top three, top four, mate. Like 
probably worst top five in this region. Is this Canada? Is this Jamaican team really what they are right now? And the table, or is was that just like a one-off? And Canada can expect a completely different side this window. Good question, Mike. Yeah, I think you have to expect a different team because a lot of national teams, and Canada was lucky in this regard last window. They were heavily affected by those UK travel restrictions. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And now Canada's feeling the effects with Hoyland and Waterspoon. Now, it's not the worst thing in the world. Jamaica certainly had it worse because pretty much all their dual nationals play in England and yeah. are of English descent and or were born there. Right. So that's really unfortunate for them. Now they've you know been able to bring in Mikhail Antonio, one of the top scorers in the Premier League. Uh, but even even guys like, you know, Ethan Pinnock playing for Brentford, you got Liam Moore, you've got. Um, I think uh, who Bobby DeCordova Reed from Fulham, Kamar Roof, who's done really well at Rangers over the last year or so. Um, they have a little bit more quality. It's huge from a Canadian perspective that Leon Bailey's not fit to be able to play yep. for Jamaica. That that's massive. That's huge. Massive. Um, but still, they have a little more quality than they've had in the previous window, and that is going to be a bit of a worry. The one benefit from Canada's perspective is much like against Suriname when in hindsight it's crazy that people were worrying about this but uh, (laughs) the one thing that Canada has going for them that Jamaica doesn't is familiarity chemistry and just being able to seamlessly shift from one tactical system to another a lot of those Jamaican players are not going to be used to it so that's going to be very beneficial Um, that being said if Canada does slip up and you know gets you know Mikhail Antonio going into you know in a load on goal right he's going to have the quality to finish off the chance, whereas maybe other teams wouldn't. So that would be the one concern you look at, but certainly they're going to be a bit more of a test, but should still be fairly winnable for Canada um, provided nobody gets suspended. And some of those uh, doubts are able to play. Awesome. Pete, listen, man, great stuff, dude. Obviously a pleasure having you on and, I'll throw it to Mitch to actually wrap you up properly because I suck at this part. <laughs> You're not the only one. I, I also, I also am terrible yeah. on my own show, finishing off the transitioning and all that. You know, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely make sure. You no pressure, Mitch. Do yeah. do amazing. No pressure. Well, I mean, it helps if I don't get interrupted, but no. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, no, yeah. Thanks, thanks so much for joining us, Peter. And definitely go check out all of his work. Uh, like I said, few people have better knowledge or or you know better coverage of the Canadian men's national team pay, player pool. So uh, definitely worth checking out his Twitter and and all of the all of the different sites that he uh, writes for. Appreciate awesome. it, guys. Thank you for having me. On. <laughs> cheers, cheers, Peter. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks for coming by. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that was great. I think uh, John Herdman just has to just has to run out that same tactical formation against. Yeah, Mexico. man, we'll that fine. that answer was pretty terrific. I was taking notes the whole time because he had like his subs worked out and everything else. I mean, <laughs> hire him, hire him, can awesome, awesome stuff from, from yeah, Peter. Yeah. Obviously, you can tell just by speaking of the knowledge that he has and the passion that he has for this game, and it's great to see, man, because there's there's so much potential for for covering this the sport in this country right now and we need more more voices like peter's to really push this game forward and really just as, as you guys that great question you had mitch about you know talent beyond what we've seen already just he him, him able to pull those names like those are the type of recognition that we need because if you're not on the national team it doesn't mean you don't deserve the coverage because we're at the point mm-hmm. now where we have too much we have too much talent that that's, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. That's a very good thing to, to talk about, but 
we need we need still need those coverage for those uh those pieces so yeah thank you for peter for for coming on and hey this this window is going to be going to be hopefully another step forward um we talk about a little bit about that match against mexico at the azteca let me throw it to mm-hmm. you guys what would a result at the azteca in mexico mean for this canadian men's national team mitch why don't we start with you there oh man um <laughs> He'll cry. I mean, I mean, it means yeah. he'll cry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it definitely means I'll cry. I mean, it, it wouldn't, but if they somehow picked up a win here, like it would feel like they qualified for the World Cup because that's such like a like everyone who's tabulated their points or, and tabulated their results. Like no one, everyone's putting a zero next to this game. I think just just yeah. because the the opposition, where they're playing, where it comes in this window, um, the players they're missing for this game. Like I, I think. I, I know that I know they played them very well at the Gold Cup, and it was very close, but they still didn't get a result in that game. And on top of that, um, you know, now they have Jimenez back in the lineup. Um, Chucky Lozano, Chucky Lozano back in the lineup. They have like, fans in the stands inexplicably. So, so sure, yeah. And yeah. Canada, and to, to counter that, Canada does have JD and Alfonso now. So, so it's not like um, it's it's only Mexico who's you know bolstered this, see, their squad since the last time they played, but. Yeah, I mean, you, you win a game like that, and all of a sudden, you know, it it changes everything. So if Canada is able to get a point or a win at the Azteca, I mean, it it's you know, it, it's it's huge. It, it changes everything. For me, it's like that. It's like that last hurdle. It's like their their biggest test, really, and their biggest like kind of measuring stick game because that to me is the toughest place in the region to get a result. And if they were to comp, you know, we saw what they did against the United States in 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 the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. check. We saw what they did at home against the U.S. You know, in 2019, check. And like even these some of these Gold Cup performances and how they kind of breeze through to the semifinals, and really in that game against Mexico in front of what like 70,000 supporters in Texas that were really just Mexican supporters, mm-hmm. um, except the know. one guy. <laughs> yeah, except the one guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Legend. absolute legend um, uh, but yeah that, that that again check so like the last thing for me that they really need to check off in terms of you know just little little milestones along this journey is putting in a really good performance at the azteca obviously there's still a lot to you know go in in this world cup qualifying but if you can get that sort of just like like i say again that, that check mark to to say okay yeah we we can go to Mexico, we can be proud of our performance. And now we believe, you know, you believe now if, if you accomplish something there that you can accomplish anything in this region, because if you can do it there, in my opinion, you could do it anywhere. You know, I, I appreciate the respect that we give the, the Mexican national team, because I think they do deserve it. I, I, I mean, that's, that's not a, it's <laughs> not a revelation, but I also think that, that we're, one, we've already we already support a team that's come away with a result in the Azteca. So yay. Two, uh uh you know this team is lazy. This Mexican squad is lazy. Um and they've been and they've been taking a task for that laziness. <laughs> in terms of their tactics, in terms of respecting their opponents, in terms of their their almost latent ability that they're gonna win every game. And never underestimate the chip on our shoulder, right? We I get what to you're a saying. man to a man, our national team feel felt the pain of that last minute at the death 
uh, uh, goal in the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. I think they're coming in guns blazing. I really do. Um, and uh, and I think that there's a, you know, I low-key think we're going to come away with a win here. I, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not as confident as Mike was going into the York, uh, the York United game, but I low key, I mean, we have the, we have the personnel, we have, uh, uh, you know, we have guys like all-star Johnson in our back line that can, that can handle Mexico. Um, I don't know if that I, was I, intentional, but if you call them all-star, Johnson, I call them I all-star that's, Johnson. That's yeah, his I did on purpose. I did on purpose that I'm trying, I'm trying to will that, will that into, <laughs> into the vernacular. Um, I like it. I, I do I do think we've got all the pieces, and then when you add that desire to to undo the wrongs that we suffered in the summer, I think you know never under we've got swagger now, guys, and swagger is really important. And I and I think we may we may at this juncture out swagger the Mexican national team. So let's see, especially if we can go ahead a goal early on. I know that that's the that that's pretty much standard for any game of soccer ever played in the history of the sport. But if we can if we can get one. Early on, I think we might be able to just ride that momentum to to a win. I really, I really do. I can't wait to see Jeff all over Mexican media. Like this is the kind of thing <laughs> that they pick up, and, and then like we're gonna see Jeff's face on like some Mexican channel. That's Can they about, use like, cartoon Jeff instead? Of, just like yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean it's it's the most Canadian hubris ever. I don't think my pulse raised above a, a sitting uh, beat, but but you know, uh, I I I. I don't. I don't think that it's as guaranteed a win that we have to start our B team and, and capitulate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. No, a point in Mexico is not off the table with this team. I I wholeheartedly agree. That being said, it's it's something we're going to have to wait and see because yep. um, I wouldn't be surprised if if you know we go out there and we get shelled three nothing or something like that. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if we we find a way to pull off a two one upset. You yep. know what I mean? Like, with the, it can go either way. And like I said, this will just be a really good measuring stick game for for this national team because you're going yeah. up the best of the re- in the region, and again, the toughest place, in my opinion, at least to to earn a result. They're all interesting games. I mean, away at Jamaica, who are struggling but are going to mm-hmm. come back trying to reverse their first window, and then the surprise, the darlings, the Cinderellas of this qualification, Panama, right? Like just pulling out surprise after surprise. It, it's going to be an interesting. And and two away tie. It's getting I mean, a tough uh, window. A yeah, very it tough is going to be a tough window. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most yeah, dramatic um, window ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like we said, these are the real tests, right? Like these away dates in Concacaf. Like the the U.S. men's national team one for as much quality as they have, certainly it's not the same. They, you know, you're it, it just doesn't have the same factors that that these away games in Mexico and and even Jamaica will have. I, I don't think and for a variety of different reasons. So um, mm-hmm. while I still think San Pedro Sula, just based on all the conversations I've had with people is the toughest away date. I know the, the Honduran team hasn't necessarily looked up to, up to standards so far yeah, in, yeah. in qualifying, but I mean, just, just playing in there. And obviously given the, I know there's history for Canada at the Azteca, but given the history Canada has in, in San Pedro Sula, like that next window is going to be the one where I really have circled on my calendar to see, you know, how far has this team really come? Yeah. But with, with that being said, yeah, th- we'll, we'll learn a ton this window, which I'm excited about. Like we'll really learn about when things get very, very tough. Like, you know, it's one thing to to go behind against Honduras at home and, and get a result. Like that's, that, that is a, a sense of mental toughness. Same with going behind against the U S getting a result. Those are, those are great results and good sign of the team, but 
going behind at the Azteca. I mean, yeah. that's a whole different that's a whole different ball game. So, uh, yeah, certainly, guys, certainly guys, they're going to walk through the tunnel. Oso is going to show them all the picture of TFC 2018, just standing around smiling, and then they're going to win. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. All right? <laughs> There's a sound bite for Mexican media right there. It's going to be all right. Uh, did, they, uh, uh, did they get a result? And like, did I, I know? I I just I just want to make sure like they got a tie in away to Club America. Like I want to make sure we because uh, the only game they've ever won in Mexico was the final. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think they got a result. Okay, uh, they got yeah. a draw. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I think so. All right. Um, okay. I just want to make sure that's accurate. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Mike. Kind of, yeah. I was gonna say one thing, just kind of to wrap up this this whole you know men's national team talk is just to think about the fact that we're gonna be missing our first choice goalkeeper in Milan Boyan. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be missing probably Atiba Hutchinson. We're missing two of our key strikers in Kyle Lair and Lucas Cavallini. Mm-hmm. But the fact we're still sitting here and being able to talk about, oh, don't worry, Canada's going to be fine. We're, you know, we're, we're have the potential here to get a result in Mexico. That mm-hmm. just really signifies, you know, exactly where this program is. I didn't even talk about, obviously, Scott Kennedy and David Weatherspoon, too, missing those pieces as well. Like the fact that we're now missing players who play in Europe who have proven to be key pieces of this, to this team, but we're still able to confidently say, you know, Canada could have like a, a, a great window. Like that just signifies again, just where, the, where this it's program wonderful. is at and the depth that we have. Like it used to be the days if like you're playing on a, on a, a team in Europe, like you're in like yep. hundred, we want you. And like, you know, like you. usually the most of the part, like they were turning us down. They were turning Canada mm-hmm. down. Now there's players that are playing in Europe oh, and, and can't, <laughs> oh, and and can't even get into the, the men's national team side. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that the needle has been moving. And I'm just like, this has happened in like a matter of like, I don't know, a year, two years. We're like, it's now we've, it's we've pretty grown fantastic. to that point, right? Yeah. It's, it just goes to show surreal, you that even man. in the, in the deepest, darkest pits of despair, that the corner is only is only around the next bend, right? Like it really does. It, it's proof positive because the, it's been a sea change. We've done a complete one eighty, um, and we're and you know some of us have have whiplash in a professional context, but it's fantastic. <laughs> every every time I stop to think about where we are in terms of the national teams, both the women's and the men's side, uh, I I lose it because it's it's incredible. It really is incredible. The, we're talking about some some real exponential growth and uh, a lot of opportunities in this country to, to push the game in myriad different directions. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's absolutely fabulous. The days of unattached FC are over, baby. <laughs> They're long they gone. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to yeah. ask, uh, I was going to ask for Michael Singh, uh, Canadian men's national team injury update. So we, we kind of got <laughs> that there. We got uh, yeah, all yeah, the players we did, who we did. Who are out in it? Yeah, it's certainly a it's certainly a tricky window from that perspective from from John Herdman. So uh, we'll see how he handles it in terms of the squad depth and and who he plays in in the different matches and who he can play in in the different matches because we know yep. there's a couple of guys certainly carrying injuries and and who we're not even sure are there or or what have you. So uh, that's why he <laughs> called in 27 players. That's why you know guys like Soteldo or sorry not Soteldo. Wow, I'm already trying to move on to the next topic. Oh, guys like Schaffelberg and uh, yep, yep. And uh, and uh, Liam Miller and guys like that have been called back in. So um, yeah. my, my brain wants to get there. Jefferson Soteldo, MLS Team of the Week. Let mm-hmm. me tee this up. Let me tee this up. 
moment everybody has been waiting for on this show. Yeah, well, since Hotel, though. You just Graham, Graham Reed just just said it. Do you think that based on his current performance, there has been a reduction in the anti yefes among TFC reporters? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, yeah, he's had a great week, uh, and uh, I think you know not hiking his shorts up was the solution that we were waiting for <laughs> this whole damn time. Uh, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not doing a 180, guys. I still. I still think his recruitment was suspect. But I'm pleased to see that there has been some developments. Um, I still think he's way too fiery on the field. Um, the Chicago game, he almost got sent off in like the 20th minute. I think he got his first yellow seven or eight minutes into the game. Uh, but he's connecting with players, and it would be remiss. It would be kind of jerky for me to not at least come out, hold my hand up and appreciate the fact that we've seen over the last week, two weeks, a real improvement from the player, both in terms of body language and in terms of on-field productivity. Um, the question remains is, you know, how does he fit into the side when, when everybody's in it? Because right now he's playing with, with guys that were on the periphery. I mean, you know, there's shaffle. I feel so bad for Schaffelbert because on his club team and on the national team, he's an understudy for guys that make more money than him and play in, in better, you know, like he's, he's never going to supplant Alfonso Davies as the starting left winger for, for the Canadian national team. So, um, but again, you know, it, applause because all signs are positive right now. I mean, the fact, the fact that he's been, that he's been able to develop chemistry with these players suggests that he'll be able to develop chemistry with our more marquee players. And, 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 well, you know, there's a big reason for that, Jeff. And mm-hmm. I think this is probably one of the biggest reasons for, for Toronto FC's turnaround. The players that were playing in those positions before weren't players that are necessarily comfortable without the ball. Right now, Soteldo is getting... He's what we, what we learned about Soteldo is that he's not necessarily a pure goal scorer. I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. You're but damn he's right. An amazing, but he's an amazing playmaker. He does it in a different way that Pozuelo does it. But he's an absolutely fantastic playmaker. And he now he has targets to hit with, with some of those playmaking abilities. And I think that's the biggest difference right now. Like when you play at the Josie Altador, for example, Josie Altador is no longer at the point in his career where he can make a run in behind. You're right. I, I like I don't remember the last time if we've seen a Josie Altador breakaway this season. I don't remember mm, the last time we've while. seen a Josie Altador breakaway. It's probably that that weird play against Montreal yep. where you know obviously he ended up scoring that that w- late winner. Um, Jacob Schaffelberg. He's probably the best thing to have happened to, to Jefferson Sotel, though. Him and Achara, in terms yep. of now their targets for him to, to re- play make and then release to. Because they're willing to make those runs. They're willing to get in behind. And when you have targets like that and you have a player like Soteldo pulling all the strings, then then it all starts to come together. But when you're trying to play make to someone like a Patrick Mullins, no offense, Jeff. Stop it. Patrick Mullins. Stop it. Who okay. has one shot on target this season. I scored six goals with him on FIFA over the weekend. I just want to say I scored six <laughs> goals with him in a match, but that's and what and they were incredible. They were like volleys off his off his kneecap. But anyway, let's go. go it's if only I can only dream. But yeah, it's gonna yeah. be tougher to obviously play make when you don't have people to play make too. If so I, could, I think that's, if I could be that's so the bold, biggest difference. If I could be so bold, because I think 
Yef's development at TFC has put into sharp relief the massive differences between the the Brazilian domestic leagues, even in the upper echelon like Santos and MLS. Um, you know, I don't think Yef had ever had to be a playmaker in terms of tactics when he was playing with Santos. The Brazilian leagues are very much about individual players and skill moves. It's like street. It's like FIFA Street, basically. Um, so. He, you know, and this is this is more in the positive column. I can't believe it, but he's learning this on the fly, right? <laughs> yes. I, has he ever has he ever had to play a false nine at Santos? Do they even know what a false nine is at Santos? Let's be honest. I mean, Brazilian football tactics are very much smash and grab, smash and grab, individual brilliance. Well, so another, credit another to him. Brazilian had the false nine. Pardon? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think it was Spain, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it was Spain. Um, it was Spain that used the false nine in, in the international game. But we're not talking about the Brazilian it, men's but... national team. We're talking about the Brazilian domestic. What, what I will important. say, though, Jeff, to that yeah. point is, mm-hmm. yeah, Santos, if you look at his numbers, like production-wise, he was not putting up an insane amount of production. I don't think that's ever been Jefferson Soteldo where like he's purely end product. Yep. He's always like... If you watch him play, like for for me at least, like the quality's there. He does so much more than to beyond that final product, which is obviously what TFC lacked, you know, heading yep. into the season. Um, and that's probably why there's there's a big crit- critique on him. But he does so much more than that, and I think that's that's really the the, the disconnect between the fan base and and you know Soteldo right now. It's just there's got to be a, at least in my opinion a, a greater appreciation for his his type of game um and it's not necessarily about about goals and and first assists because i think again he he does so much more than that um but two more things i quickly want to say about mm. soteldo and a point mm. that i want to make is that he actually now has his family here i was um, gonna bring that up yeah that's a he, big one he didn't have it for the longest time like he was feeling depressed and actually that was the reason why that story came out where you know, Brazilian media, he posted something mm-hmm. on Instagram and Brazilian media turned that into him saying that he wants to go back to... Well, Santos is in danger of getting Brazil. relegated, so it may have been uh, uh, like an attempt at a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah, never, regardless, yeah. regardless, mm-hmm. Soteldo turned that down. Like, so he shot yeah. that down. I asked him about that after the last match, and he, he said that they just sort of ran away with it, and that was really about him missing his, his kids. And and who could blame him, man? Like, he's he's 24 sure. years old now. He's getting adjusted to a completely new life, a completely new league. And as, as you pointed out, Jeff, he's doing a lot of this on the fly. Mm-hmm. So I really don't think like we can really give him a sort of perfect grade right now uh, based on you know his, his season because I don't think we know what Jefferson Soteldo really is yet. Because I think and, we're just scratching the surface with them. And this is, and this, and you're, again, I mean, not to take anything away from the positivity, this is exactly why I have a problem with this signing. Because why did we spend $25 million to figure this guy out when we when we had needs? Do you know what I mean? I'm pleased that it's working out. Wait, I'm very, wait, very pleased million. that it's working out. Well, right. whatever, whatever, m- tens of millions of dollars. I mean, let's let's not give it a, 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 de- a defined number. Wasn't it like but $6 million? Per year? Sure. But anyway, oh, what, what, whatever contract. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, all I'm saying, all uh, I'm saying is, is that, is that I'm pleased it's working out because mm-hmm. if it hadn't, it would have been a disaster. But the question still remains: is to you know, we weren't in a position to figure a player out. Again, I'm happy it's working out, but but the decision to sign him, knowing all that we know now and all that we knew then, 
I still take issue. I still take umbrage with it because we were not in a position to do it. Please, this working out. But I still have questions about why it, why it took place in, in the first place, right? Wait, like so, you were saying, so, like one one signing was never going to fix Toronto. That's what I was just about to say. Like, why, no, no, why no. Were we and, not and it, it wasn't. It, no, but what one signing wasn't going to fix it. But but one, you know, the neck the neck bones connected to the knee bone, et cetera, et cetera. This signing was an island in and of itself. It wasn't. It wasn't towards anything else. The way it was, the way it was presented to the fan base is very, very different than how it, it panned out. You know, the the putting I, him again. I I I'm. You know, it does not interfere with my positivity about how how the last couple of weeks have gone. But I feel it very remiss in 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 not at least bringing up that I still I still have umbrage with with how it happened. You know, I think I'm, I'm a little confused. Know. I'm a little confused with that because I I don't <laughs> know where. Where that that that's coming? Like, why why was it not the right time to sign Jefferson Sotel, though? In your opinion? Oh, it was the right time to sign Jefferson Sotel, though, because he was there with the sticker price, you know, with the sale price on it. But that can't be the be all and end all, right? And it seems like it was because we're so still figuring out how he fits into TFC or what type of player would you well, rather? Well, that's I mean, that's that's an entirely different question that that I don't think has any bearing on my issue with this particular signing i don't it's it they're they're mutually exclusive i think yef may end up working out for ts so if but if but that's so a hell of a bet to make mm-hmm. if he wasn't at a discount rate would you say it was a good signing then no so then what type of player then would you would you want tfc to go after uh, like what hindsight did you think being better, 20 better 20 i mean at the time i mean at the time I don't know if we needed to sign anybody. Um, you know, I don't know if we needed to make a significant cash outlay when we were staring down the barrel of a potential multi-million dollar buyout for our for our less than number nine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't necessarily know that we needed to sign anybody else. Again, pleased at how it's working out. Fills me with much joy. I just wanted to backtrack a tiny little bit and, and raise my, my pervasive issue about the signing itself. Um, and I don't have an answer for it. I just, it does fill me with a little bit of dread because it was an impulse purchase. I'm pleased it's working out, but it was an impulse purchase. And, and I don't, I, I don't know if I agree with that, that, but, but at least now we can say that this guy, as Mitch pointed out, mm-hmm. this, you know, impulse purchase, I guess he's 24 years old. Like he's, he's not one that's going to, you know, his, his career is like over in two years. Like this is no, a guy TFC has signed to, to a long-term contract. And if you're, if you're going to make a purchase like that, I mean, at least it's someone who's going to be with you for, for the, at least the foreseeable future. And if he had been a year younger, better. Mike, then we could have unlocked all those, uh, all those young DP goodies and potentially had a better chance of re-signing an Io or, uh, or a, a Chara or even a Schaffelberg as his, as his stock rises, right? Like there are detriments to, to, to the Soteldo deal. Um, I mean, I think that'll be addressed in, in their next Sunday when they hopefully, hopefully pull the trigger yeah. on, on Josie Althra's buyout and then they can yeah, sign yeah. that, that young guy. I think that was their, their plan or their vision all along, but who knows? Well, I guess we'll see, but, Mm-hmm. Hey, it's a it's a good problem to have right now, and it's it's good that we're having this discussion because absolutely, you know, absolutely, seeing Jeff I'm, I'm, come around a bit is, is well. I'm very pleased. I'm very ears. very pleased. I mean, uh, you 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 know, it's not just stepovers anymore. There's 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 a there's a there's a identity that, that into his play with TFC, and uh, and I dig it. I dig it. So yeah. 
I'll, I'll finish this up by saying Soteldo is now tied for fourth in MLS and assists, even though he missed, you know, the first couple months of the season. So for nice. a player that uh, everyone <laughs> criticized for not picking his head up enough, you know, that's, that's pretty good. I think. To, yeah. Yeah. To, to be, to be at least, uh, you know, to be at least sort of putting up uh, numbers like that, certainly. Well, let's finish up with one last thing, um, which is the fact that Toronto FC have now scheduled their semifinal for the Canadian Championship. It'll be on November 3rd against Pacific. Pacific aren't too happy about it. They were hoping it would be played when it was originally scheduled, which is during the international break. It would have been, I think, this next week, actually, yeah. um, was the original plan for it. But, um, look, I'm... I'm usually <laughs> someone who wants to fight for the Canadian Premier League teams. And I agree with stuff like the fact that Forge got a buy this year over the Vancouver Whitecaps. Like, I don't think MLS teams should get buys just because they're MLS teams. Like, it should be based on performance. And obviously, like, I think they should be considered the exact same, like, in terms of the... Because they're both Tier 1 leagues. Um, Canadian Premier League is the, is the you know, Canadian Tier 1 league. MLS is the American Tier 1 league. Let's put them on the same playing field in terms of the Canadian championship with that being said if if you want the Canadian championship to be you know the best showcase of of Canada soccer you got to have the internationals there I mean it's just how it works so of course uh, I am I'm all in favor of moving this to November 3rd and and I know it always seems like the MLS sides get um get things in their favor this game's going to be played at BMO field there was a coin toss that's how it worked Mm -hmm. um with with that being said you know I I tend to favor Toronto FC on this one. Yeah, get the stars there. Grow yeah, the I mean, I, I for for viewability, I had zero issue with it being at Starlight. I think that stadium's charming, and it would have been a fun little trip. Um, I would have preferred but, Starlight, honestly. So, so wow. would I. But, but I mean, not not with a with a squad made up of of Noble Okello and Julian Dunn and Rocco yeah. Romeo. You know what I mean? I, I think fair is fair, right? And and you know, to talk about dates being being uh, being uh, ephemeral in the new normal post COVID world is like saying the sky is blue, right? Every date mm-hmm. changes all the time. So so to to then be a stick in the mud and say no no no, this is when it was scheduled. I mean, come on, dude, seriously, like. <laughs> I've had a haircut canceled like a hundred times over the last two years. So uh, no, that, that doesn't hold a lot of water and it's an unfair advantage. Um, You know, Mitch, do you, do you, I I think that that's a sunny kumbaya kind of point, but to put the CPL teams and the MLS teams, this is the, okay, let me preface this. This is the greatest year of the, of the Voyagers cup ever. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's be honest, Uh, despite all of the shenanigans, this has been absolutely fantastic. This tournament is, is turning into, wow, that was a tongue twister. This tournament is turning into, this tournament is turning into exactly what we had in our mind's eye, which is a, a Canadian FA Cup um, where, you know, from coast to coast, this, this be- the beautiful game, this sport that we love is getting, is getting in front of eyeballs uh, in, in terms of in developing rivalries and, and, and interesting conflict and all of that other stuff. Um, I think it would do a disservice at this juncture to do what you suggest because of the fact that TFC's roster budget is probably bigger than 90% of of all the uh, the CPL teams combined. So just, just you know forget about scheduling conflicts, forget about the fact that you know I wanted to talk about this that MLS has now decided to pause for a month in the middle of the summer for every season going going forward to have an interleague competition that makes no sense. Um, so 
things are going to get weird. Uh, and, um, you know, we are at a disadvantage. We've, I mean, we've seen it in the last two years. Being Canadian, playing in MLS, is, it leaves us in a disadvantage. League's Cup adds to the, to the fixture congestion when the CanChamp Voyager's Cup should be played. Giving MLS teams a buy isn't necessarily about the talent on display, but it's more about making sure that 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 are, that players don't get injured. You know, because unlike the CPL, there is but, the MLS PA, right? So, so I, I I don't think that's going away anytime soon. I guess is my roundabout way of saying. My my argument is like is in some ways like obviously you want to give these teams the opportunity to have their their best players there. I'm I'm not for playing games in international break at any juncture in any league. Yeah. So that's that's my thing with that. But why why should the Canadian Premier League or I guess Canada Soccer care that there's this League's Cup thing and all these other competitions? Like I think they should just do what's best for their competition. And obviously I'm not saying, you know, I, I just think it's performance based, right? Like you want to make sure that the if you're giving buys out, there it's not just because they're MLS teams, it's because you know Pacific beat the Vancouver Whitecaps. They deserve that. Well, buy, yeah, right? in an in an ideal world, but also I don't think Kansok wants to go to war with Garber and, and the Garber boys, right? Like I, I think you know they have to they have to be aware that that MLS is going it has the yeah but I mean MLS yeah. or the Canadian teams need this competition as much as anyone else because they because sure. they're way into Champions League so I, I think question. I think Canada soccer has some power there a great point of reference would be the U.S. Open Cup mm-hmm. and kind of how that that competition works that's all I was gonna say because I have no idea how that competition well works. I mean <laughs> I mean that, and, and there and there's a huge controversy down south and what and how is the U.S. Open Cup going to be played. Right? Is it going to is it going to shoehorn itself? Is it going to shoehorn fixtures in around this stupid leagues cup nonsense? Uh, and if they do, is that going to create fixture congestion? And if they do, is that going to get them in hot water with the club front offices because they're taking marquee players away? They may get injured because, of course, if you play 15 games a week, the chances of getting injured are are, are exponentially higher. I mean, you know, they're unfortunately we're in a situation where we've got it's like the it's like all the uh, uh, american intelligence agencies pre 9-11 right you've got all these different huge monolithic uh entities that don't talk to each other and and start making checks um so you know i don't know if i don't know where Kansok belongs on the hierarchy there i suspect not not very high right (laughs) Jeff, your um, analogies are the best in the world. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I don't know how. You but but I I, I think I think they're they're between a rock and a hard place, right? And they and they're sort of they have to schedule around whatever whatever the mighty MLS down south uh, uh, decrees for better or worse. And it's not going to so get better. Are you better, saying this... MLS players' lives are worth more than Canadian players' lives? Canadian yes. Premier League players' lives, Jeff. One hundred percent. Yes. Exactly. You figured me out. I would have gotten away with it too. It wasn't for <laughs> snooping yeah. kids. Damn it. What I will say is like the format mm. of this competition, everything has changed like a hundred times. Um, there's obviously been some mistakes and questionable decisions along the way. Oh, 99% of the time it's worked out and the product on the field has been amazing. Uh, this, this competition's out well said, coverage randomly. Um, mm-hmm. not, not always for the sake of Canada soccer, just how it's worked, how the rivalries have worked out. Like this year has been another monumental moment for it between that, that night at starlight and all the other pictures have been fantastic as well. So I, you know, I, I think it will end up working out, but yeah, it's, it'll definitely make next year all the more interesting. And again, there's, there's, there's always something with the Canadian championship and scheduling. Um, that, is uh, anybody else doing the double? Nice. I got my tickets to Tim Horton's field for CF Ooh, Montreal. Nice. 
and I got my tickets uh, for uh, for BMO for Pacific. So doing the double. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'm Is there like a staggered yeah. time, like the the same day? No, the, I, it's no, the 27th uh, that, that yeah. uh, CF Montreal are playing Forge. So that one's, uh, it's not even okay. on the same day, but yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's another one. I did want to just briefly just mention that one because the, the fact that that's being played at, at Tim Hortons Field makes it all the more interesting. Yeah, um, We yeah. know what Forge has been able to do at that field in CONCACAF League against some some much better opponents. And, you know, Montreal has obviously been the best MLS team from Canada this year, but easily, yeah, that's, that's going to be a fun, that's in terms of the, the Canadian Premier League versus uh, MLS rivalry. This one, that's, that's the one that I'll be looking at most closely because I think Toronto FC, like Mike said, probably have Pacific, especially in the form they are in right now, but that one could be a lot closer. Definitely could be. And I, I don't yeah. think, I think, man, if it's we're... also the brother Schwanier Derby guys, Ooh. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I yeah, love yeah. I love those those guys, man. Like those <laughs> guys are yep. they're, they're so talented. They're fun to watch. Um But let me let me ask you guys this, sorry to keep dragging on here, but one game final. Toronto SC against CF Montreal. Mm-hmm. Which team are you taking? I'm still taking Montreal, I think. Like uh, again, I know it's coming off a, a great run for Toronto FC, and you mentioned the the bigger teams that they have beaten and gotten results against. But I don't know. I, I still, I still on the bulk of this season, I'm taking Montreal just just because you know if we if we had had this discussion a couple weeks ago, none of us would be picking Toronto FC. I don't think TFC, exactly. TFC. <laughs> That's my pick, guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because Jeff's a diehard TFC fan, and, and Mitch is a big time fan. <laughs> Yeah, saying so. I asked the yeah, two worst yeah. possible people that question. <laughs> I should have known exactly what answer I was going to get there. Yeah, um, you should have. <laughs> You've only no, been doing I, this for a year and change, Mike. You should have seen that one coming from a mile away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, though, like I would have a hard time betting against TFC, especially when you factor in the potential return of, of Pozuelo and, and just the form that someone like a Schaffelberg, a Char, like they seem to have, have started to click and now they're, you know, results are obviously starting to go their way. I don't think Montreal is also like a fantastic team. Like I think Montreal is a, a solid MLS team, but they're not anything to, to write home about. Like they're, they they're, might their form's also dipping. Because they're they they're might in the squeak into the right playoffs. Now. They yeah. might squeak yeah. into the playoffs right yeah. now. I think they're the seventh seventh spot. So like again, they're not the best team in MLS. They're not they're not the New England Revolution we're talking about. And yeah. I think running I away think with that points record. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all agree like Toronto FC on paper, that they're better than what they've been showing, at least this season. Um I think they're probably yeah, if closer they were still to, in it. I'd be more worried about the caps because the caps are on fire right now, but, but Montreal's sure is dipping like, like nobody's business. So it should yeah, be I interesting. Think, so I, I guess the wrap up was, I think that TFC are closer to the team they are now than the team they, I guess they have been for the majority of this season. And I'm not sure well, if you guys would agree yeah. with that statement. I would. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, me, too. Um, me too. But 
you know, this, this is going to be an interesting uh, in-between shows because I feel like we end up on Mexican media for what Jeff's been saying. And I feel like we end up Can't on wait. Canadian Premier League uh, media channels <laughs> for talking about a Toronto FC CF Montreal final before we even <laughs> the semifinals. So <laughs> you might see our, our faces in some, uh, yep, in some yep. interesting spot, un, in unusual spots this week. But Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That, Thank that God none of us a... had a green screen background because it would have been horrific. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah that does bring us to the end of the show here though huge thank you to peter glendo for making his wtr weekly debut um you know definitely check out his work if you haven't already i guarantee it will improve your canadian men's national team knowledge as i'm sure you can tell from from that uh that conversation we had with him thank you all for watching listening and interacting if you have a second this week head over to apple podcasts or whatever your podcatcher of choice is and leave us a rating and review uh it would be much appreciated on behalf of Jeffrey P. Nesker and Michael Singh. I'm Mitchell Tierney. Until next Tuesday. Uh-huh.